0: I want you to think about what is is one of the most harmful things you can do to yourself. You can probably think of a number of things health-wise or maybe other things, but I'll I'll tell you a story. I I read this novel some years ago. It was a John Grisham novel. And as this book starts out, you're introduced to the main character who is a, a war hero who has just returned home from World War II. He's been home about a year. And as the story starts out, he has breakfast, talks with a couple people, and then this well-respected man gets in his truck, drives into town, shoots a man. And there was a witness to the shooting, and he tells the witness, go tell the sheriff what I've done, and then he goes home and he sits on his front porch and waits for the sheriff to come. And it's, it was an odd intro to a book, and as you, you read more and you're trying to figure out what's going on, eventually it comes out that he had been presumed dead for over two years while in World War II, and while he was gone, his wife was unfaithful to him. And so the day before he is electrocuted for his crime, he talks with his wife, and she asks him, she says, do you still love me? And he says that I do. I always have and I always will. She says, will you forgive me? He says, No. I can't do that. His unforgiveness destroyed his own life. As the book continues, it destroys the life of his wife, of his children, of his friends. Unforgiveness will destroy a life. Harboring onto bitterness and resentment will destroy who you are. As we continue this series on serving, I want to talk about forgiveness today. To recap where we've been, as we started this series, I told you that the Christian life is about discipleship, that that should be our goal, that we are to be learning from Christ and imitating Christ in our lives. And the ultimate way to imitate Jesus Christ is to serve others because the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served. And so as we look to how we do that, we looked at Romans 12, that we're to to serve like Jesus. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we saw that, that there is one body and many gifts to serve in that body. And serving begins here in the church. And because of that, I wanted to look at two aspects that I think are crucial to serving here in the church. And the first was humility last week. We looked at Philippians 2, or two weeks ago, and having that mindset of Christ. And today I want to look at Forgiveness. Because I don't think that we can serve if we cannot forgive. Today we're going to be in Colossians 3. In your bulletin it says we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. On Thursday after Becky made the bulletins, I changed my mind. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. But don't worry, we're not going to be here till Tuesday. I'm only going to really expound on two of those verses, but I felt that it fit better if we look at the whole context here. We'll read the passage. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For, this is because these, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you, you also once walked when you were living in them, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian. Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again for these words, this challenge, this challenge to live a life that is different than a life without Jesus. Pray you open our hearts and minds this morning. Lord, help me to speak clearly the things that you have shown me this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in verses 1 through 11, we see the new self. And so something, when I I read that passage in Ephesians, Paul brought out there as well. He begins, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. We've looked at that before. Paul brings that out several times in Romans 8. This mindset is important. If you're putting your mind on yourself, the results will be evident, but the mindset needs to be on the things above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this is an an idea we saw several times in Galatians. Paul viewed himself as having been crucified with Christ. He says we have died with Christ. This sinful, selfish body, we need to view it as being dead. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed to him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And those are the things of the old body. That's not who you are now. Those are the things we're putting to death. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And the idea here with this putting off the old self and putting on the new self, it's like it's like a change of clothes. The study I was doing on Wednesday nights on Ephesians when he was talking about this very similar idea in Ephesians 4 The author there pointed towards the, the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a, a butterfly, that we have been changed. Our inside has changed, and now we need to change our clothes to match the inside. This is an inside-out change. God has given us this new self, and now we have to dress appropriately. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. That's who, in this new position you have, that's, that's who you are. I don't know, whatever you identified yourself with before, it's, it's Christ. So as those who have been chosen of God, oh, now we're to verse 12. so the big thing that I want to bring out there was that, that idea of this renewal or the change of clothes. That's what Paul is getting at as he's, he's working through them. How, how do you do this life change? Well, the first thing is to realize that you were once this, but now you're this. And now it's time to look like it. My, my grandfather liked to help people. There was one time when I was at work one day and he called me. There was a gentleman whose wife was one of our secretaries and they didn't have a lot of money and the husband lost his job. And so my grandfather tried to find a position for him where he could work at the funeral home. But Tom was pretty rough around the edges guy. So my grandfather... Called him and said, well, if you want to have this job, you can have it. You need to go get your hair cut. We weren't allowed to have any facial hair, so you need to go shave. And uh, then he gave me his credit card and had me take him down to the men's warehouse and get him a couple suits and shirts and ties. He had a new position and he had to look like he fit in that position. That's what Paul's telling us. Who you are is who you are in Christ. So set your mind on it. These things that you used to do, they're dead. This is who you are. Put on that set of clothes. Our second point here will be verses 12 and 13. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Verses 12 and and 13, we see that the new self forgives. The new self forgives. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul's not only urging his readers to get rid of the behavior that's inappropriate to their new position in Christ, but also to clothe themselves with attitudes and actions that are appropriate. So that's this this new outfit, this butterfly that was once a caterpillar. This is what that outfit looks like. This is what that butterfly looks like. This is that renewal that he talked about in verses 10 and 11. This is what that renewal looks like. It's interesting going back to, to mindset and having this mindset of the things above and not the things of earth. You think of how important that is in our lives. I was reading from a gentleman who expounded on this from his his ministry experience. He says, In doing prison evangelism, I have learned that many prisoners grew up hearing from their parents that they would never amount to anything and would probably end up in prison. Thinking of themselves as losers, they had become what they thought they were. He goes on to say that God has specially selected believers and has set them apart for great things. That's who you are. Whoever you thought you were before, whatever you thought your potential was, your potential is now set by God what he has chosen for you. Here Paul says compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Paul's contrasting those things, these good things, with the old outfit. With immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, idolatry, Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, lying, all of those things that we're to put away with. That's what we're contrasting here. These are the clothes that are appropriate for you as a believer. You may remember back in the fall when we, we did a couple week series on Ephesians 4, we looked at there's a very similar statement in Ephesians four too. When we look through that, and call that that was Paul saying this was the way to peace. And I like that it's, it's the way that we God has given us to be with one another. That the appropriate way to act reflects on one another. And again. Not that long ago, we were in Galatians 5 and looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And how many of those were outward things that affect one another? Here we have compassion. When you think of this word compassion, this isn't, you know, it's not like you just feel sorry for someone. Think of the Good Samaritan. The word for compassion here is the same word used when the Good Samaritan walked by the man bleeding and beaten in the ditch and something, the word really means something turned in his stomach. Do you have that kind of, do you have those eyes? Can you walk by people and be focused solely on yourself or do you see the needs and the hurts and the wants of the people around you? That's what compassion is. Kindness, what's the outpouring from that? How do you treat people with dignity and respect and love? Humility. Humility in the Greek here is a, a compound word which combines humble an attitude, it's having a humble attitude. Last week, we or two weeks ago, we looked extensively at, at Jesus' humility. And here, as Paul is listing humility in this list of traits that they are to, to put on, he's telling them, I mean, don't just think lowly of yourself. What he's telling them is this, this humble attitude is viewing yourself and everyone else in the way that God views you. And so if I am viewing myself as God views me, it's going to knock me down off whatever peg I put myself on. But if I view everyone else in the way God views them, I see the intrinsic value in each one of you, that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for all of your sins that God loves each and every one of you, that you are all his special creation. Have this humility, this humble attitude, gentleness. And again, the the Greek word here is to be meek. And meek isn't making yourself a doormat. It doesn't mean I just let people walk all over me. But it's to be submissive to not fight for your own rights, to care about, well, I deserve this, or I earned that, or I have this right. You can't trample on that. No. You care more about the rights of others than yourself. To be meek is to be like Jesus. Jesus wasn't weak, but he was meek. Jesus is equal in every way to God. They are one. And yet Jesus willingly submits himself to the Father. He doesn't fight for his rights or what he feels like he is due. When we looked at his humility last week in Philippians 2, we saw that. That he was willing to, even though he was found equal to God. He was willing to pour himself out. And he did that in submission to God the Father. And that is the attitude we are to have towards one another. Paul tells the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, right before he gets to wives be subject to your husbands, he tells the whole church, be subject to one another. Be meek. Be submissive. Don't be fighting for, for you. He says patience. We're to have patience with one another. Well, we looked at this one in the fall. I thought this one was really interesting. It's another compound word. Macro is long. mice is anger. So it really means long anger, but you could think of it as having like a long fuse. You don't just blow off at every little irritation. And that brings us to verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you bearing with one another. The Oxford Dictionary defines bearing in this sense as the level to which something can be tolerated. To bear something they define as to endure an ordeal or difficulty. That's not what Paul's saying here. This isn't putting up with each other. Like I'm going to church, I can hardly bear those people. <laughs> what Paul is saying here, that we're to, we to have a forgiving attitude. Before he gets to actually forgiving one another, he says, bear with one another. It's like a pre-forgiveness. Again, I'll, I'll use marriage as an example. We, do, we often say about marriage that it's the union of two sinful, selfish people. And so they're constantly going to be... Well, here at Areola Bible Church, we have over a hundred sinful, selfish people. I don't have a hundred hands, but... There's constantly going to be some sort of beating of the heads. Because we all have that in us. And so we have to know ahead of time that, you know what, so-and-so might really tick me off today, but Lord, I forgive them before it happens. But it doesn't even have to be about a specific person. And this, is, this is a lot of those other things wrapped into one, that humility, that submission, all of those things, they come to life when you are able to bear with each other to take grievances and be able to just brush them off because of what your position is in Christ. As we strive to grow in Christ, we need to forgive each other before we even commit offenses. And then Paul says, forgiving one another. My dad's here, so I'm going to steal one of his examples. He likes to tell a story of, he was talking with one of my grandfather's friends about forgiveness. She had some issues with one of her sons, and she was elderly and having these issues and struggling with them, and my dad was talking to her about forgiveness, and my grandfather walked in, and he said something to the effect that he, he's good at forgiving, but he never forgets. Turn with me to Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. That is how we are to forgive one another. Notice how David describes God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. You see any similarities there to how Paul is urging us to live? And what's the outcome of God's character traits? This holy and righteous God who who can't stand sin, who must judge sin, and yet his loving kindness abounds, and so he doesn't keep his anger forever. He forgets the offenses that we have done to him. He doesn't deal with us as sinners or treat us as we deserve. That verse always reminds me my mom had this little plaque that she hung above her washing machine, and it said If your wife doesn't treat you as you deserve, be thankful. And above it was a little carving of a woman throwing a pot at a man's head. <laughs> God doesn't treat us as we deserve. If he did, none of us would be here. He forgives us as far as the east is from the west. I'm standing north and south. East is from the west. Trevor will like this. this that saying always reminds me of Texas. It is the worst state to drive across because it is so big and it is... Yeah. (laughs) But it's interesting, when I was growing up, my grandfather lived in Longview, Texas, which is pretty close to the Arkansas border on the east side of Texas. And when we would drive from California, when you cross the border into El Paso, you're only about halfway to Longview. East and the West is a long way, but you think about God removing our sins. This is farther than Texarkana and El Paso. They're gone. He's taken them away. He's not storing some of them in there so that if it happens again, he can bring it back out and say, look at that. He's forgiven us. Paul's not telling us to forgive, but not forget. He's telling us to forgive like God forgives. That in our new self, in this new position, part of that new outfit is forgiving. If we're going to emulate Jesus Christ, we are to forgive. I think one of the most... powerful statements from Jesus in Luke 24 on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he was innocent, not guilty of any sin or any crime. And yet they beat him unrecognizable and they hung him on a cross. And the first thing that Luke records on the cross, his Father, forgive them. If we're going to emulate Jesus, we have to be able to forgive. Paul continues, whoever has a complaint against anyone, there can be a lot of complaints in a church. (laughs) Well, so-and-so sat in my pew last Sunday. So and so wanted orange carpet, and I wanted burnt orange carpet. The things that churches have split over—I mean, if you look at lists of things that people have reported, it's it's crazy. Any complaint, Paul isn't just saying here those minor skirmishes we have. He doesn't give an exception clause for the big ones. This is anything. Someone could say the most disrespectful thing to you that you could ever imagine, and yet you forgive them. Someone could hurt your feelings week after week after week, and yet you forgive them. And we're to do this because just as the Lord forgave, so also should you I'd love to, to give you some great illustration here for this passage, but I think Jesus did it best. Turn with me to Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that they had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Just really quickly there that 10,000 talents was more than that slave could have ever earned back. It was an outrageous amount of money. And so in letting him go, it doesn't say that the, the king let him go to try and repay it. It says he let him go and forgave him. Because that was going to be the only solution other than selling him into slavery. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii and not much money at all, and began to choke him, saying, pay me back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So he went to his fellow slaves and saw what had happened, that they were deeply grieved and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then he summoned him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? When Paul says here that we're to forgive one another the way that God has forgiven us, if you take that into perspective and you think about I don't think we have any comprehension of how offensive our sin is to God. I don't think we can. None of us are perfectly anything. But you can think of the most offensive thing to you and you can't understand how many times you'd have to multiply it to understand the way God feels about our sin. And yet he forgave all of them. how then could we turn around like this servant here and say, well, I've been forgiven every sin in my whole life and yet you really made me angry. What do you think that God sees when he sees that? You think of everything that God has forgiven you for. How can you not forgive others? We'll look briefly here at the verses 14 through 17. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, giving thanks through him to God the Father. It's funny. I've been told several times over the first couple weeks that I started this series on service, several people told me that they were really enjoying my series on unity. And I got it. I mean, Romans 12, a big part of that passage was we are one body there was a lot of unity there. And as we looked at Philippians 2, there's a lot of unity there in having the mindset of Christ and the humility. And as we're looking at forgiveness, there's a lot of unity here. I think it's because unity is a huge part of serving. Because if we're trying to follow Jesus and emulate him in service, it begins here. It begins here in this church, this vessel that God gave us to grow in him, to serve one another. Now, eventually that gets pointed outwards towards the world as well, but it starts here. And without forgiveness, there can be no unity. We cannot serve God by serving one another while harboring bitterness in our hearts towards one another. Paul says here, beyond all those things, even beyond forgiveness, love one another. Put on love. There cannot cannot be love without forgiveness. This love is agape love. It is selfless love. It is the kind of love that is not natural to us, but is natural to God. And he empowers us to do that, but we cannot get there if in our pride we're holding on to past hurts and wrongs. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, be thankful I mean that's that's why we come we want a a different life we want we want our lives to reflect that new position to have that new set of clothes and from that we get the peace of Christ and we study his word let the word of Christ dwell richly within you do do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus this is what we're aiming for but to get there and to do it together which we have to do it together that's how God has designed this for the church to be the cause of growth we have to learn to forgive one another so we've looked at this idea of a new self how the new self forgives. And there in the end, we saw the fruit of forgiveness. This love, peace, this ability to share in God's word and admonish one another and sing together and to get to the point in your life where everything you're doing, you're doing it to the glory of Jesus Christ and God the Father. that brings us back to our big idea. There is power in forgiveness. I want to read to you an article I read maybe a month or so ago. Just the first part of it I thought was really interesting. It says, at age 28, Sonny Jacobs was sentenced to death for a crime she didn't commit and spent 5 of her 17 years on death row in solitary confinement her life was completely upended her children were put into foster into the foster care system and it would take nearly 2 decades to appeal her wrongfully convicted case yet somehow she managed to unlock the key to healing and found joy even when she was in solitary After she got out, when other exonerees look at Jacob's, who now lives a contented life with her husband Peter Pringle and their pets in the idyllic Ireland countryside, it sparks a kind of hope. It didn't take long for people to begin reaching out to Jacob's, asking how they could attain what she has. They want to know what we have. They see we've been able to overcome all that and find happiness and healing and love, Jacob said. But forgiveness is the last thing on their minds. We have to ease into that conversation, she said with a laugh. Forgiveness? They'll ask with a tone of incredulous disgust. It's like the F word. She tells them this, forgiveness is a selfish act you do for yourself because no one else can do it for you they can't free you from what's inside of you. How true is that? If I am harboring unforgiveness, it does nothing to the other person. But it will destroy me. I've seen this in my own life. I I know I've told several of this story. I don't think I've ever told it from the pulpit, but if I have, forgive me. But, you know, I experienced a lot of hurt when I was in my middle teens. And, you know, a year and a half later, you know, I, I still went to church. The people that had left, I didn't really see much. And then I went away to college. I moved 3,000 miles away. I never spent more than, you know, a month and a half or two months at home ever again. And throughout the years, my dad would tell me over and over and over again, Craig, you have to forgive those people. I don't know. You know, I never really thought I hadn't. I just sort of brushed it off and whatever, it is what it is, it was the past. And yet when I look at my life over those years, I look at this vast long period where my faith wasn't shaken, but my faith in the church sure was. to the point where when I went to seminary, there was, I don't think you could have gotten me into a church ministry with a gun in my head. I wanted to go serve the Lord in the military as a chaplain. And if that didn't work out, well, we'd find something. But it wasn't going to be the church. And then the day after my first semester of seminary, my mom died. And we had the funeral in California at that church where my parents faithfully served for 24 years. And almost everyone that I had been hurt by at that time when I was 16 came to mom's funeral and a bunch of them got up and spoke. And it was like, God poured this out on my heart that you need to deal with your feelings here. I never had. I just sort of brushed it aside. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to deal with it, to forgive people. And when that happened, when that dam broke in my heart, it was like the, a whole new world of possibilities was open. That's the power of forgiveness. And if you want God to work through you, I, I look back on that. No matter where I had ended up, I don't think I would have had a successful ministry harboring bitterness and anger. If you want God to work through you, if you want to serve Him, Ephesians two ten. That you know, after He tells us we've been saved by grace, we were saved by grace so that we could walk in the good works that God has laid out before us. If you want to carry that out, so we looked at it a couple weeks ago, you have to be humble, and out of that humility, you have to be able to forgive, because serving starts here. We serve one another first. Would you pray with me dear heavenly father i thank you again for these words lord for this challenge forgiveness is something that you have done perfectly and, and lord we aren't good at it i pray that you challenge each of us to to make that a priority in jesus name we pray amen